it does feel like more of a gamble or more of a risk to come out because vulnerability largely has not been modeled. And so there isn't a template. And that feels extra scary for a kid who wants to have these relationships. You know, if a kid is telling you this, they want you along for the journey. Hi, y'all. This one's coming to you as a direct response to requests from our Camp Wildheart community. We're talking about coming out. When to do it, who does it, who do we tell, and how do we tell them so that it sets you and your child up for a successful social transition. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham. Coming out, an age-old tradition for queer kids. Some even think of it as a rite of passage. But we don't really consider how emotionally taxing it is for the person doing the coming out. Straight people don't have to come out. Cisgender people don't have to come out. It's just assumed until told otherwise. What we don't realize is that by even having this cultural setup, we're creating a world where our kids are often othered. Wouldn't it be lovely if we didn't have to come out and we could just, I don't know, be ourselves without having to explain our identity to anyone? I realize that the world is far from this utopia I imagine, but not as far as we were when I was a kid. I remember being a kid and thinking about the idea of coming out and thinking things like, I would rather have to tell them I'm dying of cancer. How messed up is that? But it really speaks to the time. I know a lot of people with very similar stories and a lot of people that stayed closeted a really long time because of it. But the world is changing. There is hope. I know this because the other day, my son shared with me that he and his friend, also a boy, were getting married in their Roblox game. He told it to me with zero homophobia, like he was telling me what he'd picked for a snack. Boys, it makes my heart so freaking happy that he can just be himself and explore and try things without having to hide them. Another example, my daughter was in a play not very long ago, and her character was originally written as a boy part, but they converted it to a girl part for her. Her love interest remained the same, a girl. Nobody batted an eye. I cried. A world where they don't have to come out and just get to be is coming someday. But that day is not today. And as you navigate the coming out process, it is sure to bring up lots of questions. So to help us in this conversation, I've asked my good friend and co-counselor, Jess Guerrero, to join us. If you are a longtime listener, you'll recognize Jess. Uh, Jess joins me for other hard conversations, uh, pretty regularly, actually. Jess is one of those rare people in my life that can sit in the dark with people. They like to say they're afraid of the dark, but that's literal dark, not like hard, dark conversations. This isn't a hard, dark conversation, but that's what I call Jess for, the hard ones. Jess always wanted to be a Boy Scout and comes prepared as your guest counselor to journey all of the adventures and self-discovery of Camp Wildheart. When not at camp, they utilize their training in social work and nerdy gender studies degree to help gender expansive youth and adults navigate exploring their identities and identifying ways to feel affirmed. They also bring their fierce and tender heart into parenting their five-year-old and loving on their various members of their relationship constellation. They come to camp with almost 14 years of experience working with youth and families. 
So with the coming out to extended family, how did, how what do, what do you think about that? How does that get to work in the Jess's advice <laughs> category? I think it's what we always say, which is the frustrating answer that it's very individual. Um, it depends, it depends right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I think some things that we encourage young people to think about are, you know, how how close in geographic proximity a family member is, how often they have to see that person or want to see that person, um, how much they've value the relationship and want to have that level of of depth and potential support even if they don't see that person all that often or interact all that often and then you know based on the answers to those questions it can help the young person and their other adult supports kind of decide the order in which to tell people, um, the importance of telling people, and then start to put a plan together. And then as far as who does it, again, I think it depends, right? Uh, you know, some young people are like, I'm, I was going to say posting it on Facebook, but I don't think that's the thing that happens anymore. <laughs> no, it's on like their Instagram yeah, story. Something I think. like that. The TikToks. Um, but, uh, you know, some people have a more widespread announcement and just kind of get it over with in one announcement. Other people will ask their parents, caregivers to be kind of the go between and say, like, my kid has this news. This is the hard line of what you will call them. They want you to know because you're important to them, but they were afraid of your reaction. So I'm telling telling you on their behalf. Uh, and then what a lot of the youth that I work with end up doing is, you know, sending a text or an email and saying like, here's the deal. I don't want to talk about it right now, <laughs> but I would like to schedule a phone call or follow up with you via text. Because, you know, most 15-year-olds say follow up with you via text. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do. It's very 15-year-old language. Um, I'd like to speak with you in two weeks so that we can talk about this further. I think the reason why a lot of folks opt to do it that way is because they recognize that there could be a reaction um, or they're fearful of that reaction. And it gives the other person the space and the kindness to have that reaction without worrying about immediately hurting the person that they care about. But it doesn't just linger out there as this thing that can be swept under the rug when there's then the invitation to continue the conversation um, at some given time in the future. There's something else as you were talking kind of occurred to me about how exhausting coming out is and how it's never ending right so i hear from a lot of parents like they don't want to tell anybody they don't want us to tell anybody they don't want us to tell anybody and part of that is is once you start telling people then you have to keep telling people and keep telling people and keep telling people and keep telling people and keep telling people or wonder who knows or who told someone else or what questions they're gonna ask yeah yeah and every time Every time. 
it's anxiety provoking, mm-hmm. right? You don't know how the other person's going to react, even if they have been affirming verbally of other things or like they're open minded or whatever. You just don't know because mm-hmm. I've I've met a number of parents who are like super open minded, super liberal, and like support trans rights but then when it's their kid they're like whoa 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 yeah mm-hmm. right everything just sort of like hits the brakes yep. so you really don't know and kids hear these horror stories and they read online about people's reactions and so they really just never have a clear understanding of who's going to be okay and who's not i have also known kids who are acutely aware that like some of their extended family is not going to be supportive And so when we start telling people, that's also going to cause pain for the other people in my family who are supportive. Exactly. I don't want to be the source of pain. I just want to be myself. And I think that's an important point, too, to go back to the, um, the idea of how much energy it requires. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, these are kids and teens and and they are faced with things that some of their peers are not, you know, their peers are focusing on starting school uh, and might be like a little bit nervous about who's going to be in their class or who the teacher's going to be. But the level of potential anxiety is kind of next level for the youth that we, some of the youth that we work with, because there is so much unknown. Um, There is this feeling that they're going to have to keep, answering questions or asserting themselves or deciding whether to correct the substitute that they have for one day out of the whole year or just kind of like sit there in silence uh, or any number of of scenarios. And that takes a lot of energy. And I know we've talked about this before and I talk about it a lot with my patients and, and their parents. Part of affirming a young person's identity and helping them move forward in whatever steps they need to be who they are means that they're freeing up energy to focus on other areas of life and to just get to be a kid. We don't realize how much time and energy is spent on this aspect of their life. Yeah, I was working with an adult patient who was, you know, well into adulthood Um, and according to their goals, they wanted to have, you know, affirming genital surgery. And when I visited them postoperatively in the hospital, they said to me, you know, I am ecstatic. Like this is what I've been wanting and working towards, but I've been doing this for 20 years. And now I kind Mm -hmm. of don't know what to do because so much of my energy has gone into finding a provider, getting scheduled, making sure I have my letters of support in order, uh, making sure I'm taking care of my overall health and mental health so that I can have Mm -hmm. a successful surgery. And now, like, now I'm not sure how to fill my time. And it's totally a terrible analogy, but I felt that way when I finished grad school, right? Like I was working, I was interning, And I was going to classes. And then when I graduated and started working, I would get home and I'd be like, wait a minute. I don't, 
there's nothing else for me to do right now. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. instead of feeling freedom in that, there was a level of anxiety. And I think, you know, we see that with, with our young people too. They move forward in the steps, they feel happier, but then they're like, where do I direct this energy now? I'm going to rewind us here a little bit and bring it back to, it's not just, I had to come out to my school, right? It's, I had to come out to the secretary, the school counselor, the school nurse, the registrar, the principal, the vice principal, probably the school psychologist, my teacher, other teachers I've had in the past, other teachers who I interact with, the lunch ladies, the home, like everyone, right? It's not just, I came out at school. Right. And it's why a lot of youth and their families either try to change schools or or decide to move forward with a social transition uh, at some other transition point, like from middle school to high school, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there aren't natural transition points or starting over with family. And I think that is the challenge, right? And how often yeah. do we hear, oh, my great aunt said that I'm always going to be Julie um, because I've been Julie for 15 years and she's she can't make that change, but she cares deeply about me. And, and I do think that that is true to the person who is saying it, but I, what they don't recognize is not moving from where they're at actually creates a disruption in that relationship. And there's a cost. Yeah. I don't know that people realize that they just sort of think like, Oh, well, you're always going to be this person to me. Right. I've heard parents and relatives say that like it's endearing. Right. They mean it to be like a source of comfort. And I think it makes it harder. Uh, you know, every story is new, unique, right? And and some people have such deep pain and distress and discomfort with who they were assumed to be at birth and how they were raised earlier in life. But when the response is, I'm always going to see you as X, it doesn't really allow that person the freedom to integrate that history. And necessarily find any pride or gratitude for uh, the experiences that they had. I really think it, it limits how people experience their gender um, because sometimes there's just like the rejection of the other or another gender that Mm -hmm. they were assumed to be and they limit themselves. I also think that they, when families do that, it creates this, I mean, this is sort of a natural family dynamic anyway. Um, and by natural, I mean naturally dysfunctional, uh, where the young people are always seen as like they're young and immature regard. Like I'm, I'm almost 40 and my brothers will still treat me sometimes like I'm the little kid or my mom will treat me like I'm 17 or 16 or whatever. Like she'll talk to me like I'm, I'm like, you're talking to me like I don't have two master's degrees, mom. What's going on? Um, but we all sort of like just see people kind of stuck at a certain stage. And I do this. I am guilty of this. Like when I have kids, I've got a couple of kids right now who are moving off to college. A couple of kids. You say patients. I say mm-hmm. kids. Um, 
and I shouldn't call them kids anymore. They are adults. And they're like, they graduated from high school. And I was like, what do you mean you're graduating from high school? You're 13 years old. And they're like, no. And I'm like, in my mind, I met you when you're 13. You're 13. And they're like, but I'm really not. And I'm like, I know that. But also, it's a huge life change. It means that we have to see them differently and allow for them to evolve and grow. One of my favorite things to talk to families about is how, how the how of talking to the extended family. And there's lots of questions like, do we send out an email? That's a big one. Do we send out a video of some sort that like explains this in whatever way we can? Do we call a family meeting? Do we tell everybody at one time? Do we call grandma first? Who do we call? How do, is there an order of operations, right? Um, and I always tell them that regardless of who they choose to go first, and I, and I do help them choose to who to go first in terms of like, just like you, proximity, who you're interacting with most, who's got the closest relationships, whose support do you want? Who do you want to add to your support team? But I talk with parents about when you share the news with your family that your child has transitioned, a very powerful tool is to share it like it's good news and not like it's bad news or this thing that we're enduring or this thing that's happened to us. And setting it up with, I know this is going to be hard for you. No. You present it, and the language I even give families is, we're so excited that our kid has invited us and it feels open and feels like honest and feels safe enough with our family to be their most authentic self. We could not ask for anything better than this, right? Really setting it up for this experience of, if you are unaffirming, you are not on the right page. There's not, when you set it up that way, there just isn't room for people to interpret it as anything other than excitement or pride or or good because family members will still like if they're not affirming and supportive they'll still say something right but those of them that are neutral or aren't really sure you know it's like when you find out somebody's pregnant <laughs> and like i'm I'm, pre- I'm pregnant and i'm like oh good yeah. yes yeah. yeah 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 okay Right. But if they are like, oh, man, I'm so excited. Right. And they tell you it, you know, immediately like, oh, I don't have to guess and that this is something we're not excited yeah. about. There's a lot of family members who take their cues from the parents on how are we responding with this? Like, are we are. Do you want me to be supportive of this? Do you not want me to be supportive of this? Like, what does that mean? And so I think that the more you can set it up, the better. I've seen people. <laughs> I've, I haven't seen it, I guess. I've heard stories about people doing like regender mm-hmm. reveal parties. or like birth announcements uh-huh. yeah i've seen uh-huh. that too mm-hmm. which i think is yeah. cute um and if that's what you want to do i think that's great go for it as long as y'all are on the same page right like you and the kiddo um i love the idea of like celebrating it though it's it is something to celebrate i'm also like i hear a lot from parents like i'm really nervous about telling my mom or my dad because they're old fashioned and conservative and 85, um, you know, or whatever. It doesn't give people enough credit. I think, um, as a parent myself now and like putting myself in their shoes 
just like you you talked about like people being frozen in time there are just some things that cause us to regress back to being the kid even with our 85 year old parent um even as we are parenting another human and and worried about judgment and and Mm -hmm. blame and you know you obviously talk so much about uh shame and internalized stigma and what it means to have a quote unwanted identity and mm-hmm. and i think that plays mm-hmm. a big role in parents being afraid to tell their own parents i often will encourage parents in sessions when we're talking about telling family and they're expressing this like anxiety about telling their elders you know like what part is that what part of you is that and let's get really clear on what part is concerned here because it's probably not you, the parent, that's concerned. It's probably you, the child, that's concerned. There's things that can be done to soothe those parts so that it's not so terrifying. But I know so many parents who've spent their entire lives just trying to, like, not make yep. waves and not be, you know, yep. just just be under yep. the radar. Let's just do this. And they want to blend in. And then here comes this kid, right? I think I've said this a couple of times before on this podcast. Um, here comes this kid and they are not blending in. <laughs> not, no, they don't, that they, they don't even know how to shade. Like they can't blend anything. Um, other than their really fabulous <clears throat> makeup. So true. Um, that really pushes parents into this place oftentimes where their internal stuff gets activated. Um, kids are our best teachers like our own children are our best teachers they are brilliant at helping us figure out where all of our trauma is <laughs> and where all of the like scars we just didn't even know existed and just sort of like oh oh that okay i gotta work on that spot. cool yeah. parenting is its own journey right is it helpful to pay attention to what's coming up for you as, as for parents, as you think about a telling family? Um, how can you then do the work on those parts to get them to step back so that you can show up for your kid with confidence and compassion and excitement and enthusiasm um, so that you can celebrate this huge, huge turning point for your family? If you think about the other news that that people share right what mm-hmm. college someone might be going to um who they're going to prom whatever you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of excitement around that and so yeah like you said why not approach it this way the other thought that i'm having is i think sometimes people are or i should say like family gatherings or holidays end up being kind of a catalyst for these conversations and when possible i think it's a good idea to have these conversations separate because there's already so many expectations and pressure around holidays that adding this to the mix a you lose i think the opportunity to celebrate as we've been saying because it's not this sort of unique thing if it gets wrapped up in everything else but because everyone's stress level is already high people don't like change and transition and if it is possible to do it on a random thursday (laughs) uh then uh then that 
might feel less stressful for everyone involved rather than mm-hmm. like, oh my God, we have to tell grandma before we show up there for Christmas. I want to circle back to the who tells. I've come across some families that feel it is just so important for the kid to, to have to tell people. Right. It like um, shows they're sure or yeah. Yeah. Like it's yeah. proof. And I just want to bring it back to like all of the things that we talked about before that are exhausting about this process and how much energy it takes and how much vulnerability it takes to constantly have to like, am I going to cause a huge rift in my family or am I going to be the weirdo? I don't know. And I think that having a conversation with the kid about what they're comfortable with and what they want to own and who they want to tell and who they want support in telling um, and what support looks like and for parents to listen and be empathetic and to realize that just because a kid doesn't want to have this vulnerable conversation with people that have a high emotional risk factor in their life does not mean anything about their identity. I think the other thing too is, um, and I talk about this a lot with the youth I work with in some ways transition catapults people developmentally because they're having to have conversations and make decisions that are far different than what their cisgender peers are getting to do. I I do talk to them about how this is sort of like um, a privilege to an extent. Um, Not a lot of other 14, 15, 16 year olds get to drive their healthcare or know how to drive their healthcare in the way that our gender diverse youth do. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, these kids, these teens are still kids and Mm -hmm. we expect them to be these adults without ever really giving them the skills or the training to do that. Like, am I modeling vulnerability for my kid? I sure hope so, but Mm -hmm. I don't really have any evidence of that. And in families where, it does feel like more of a gamble or more of a risk to come out. I think it's because vulnerability largely has not been modeled. And so there isn't a template and that feels extra scary for a kid who wants to have these relationships, but is saying to their parent, you know, much like we talked to the parents, you know, if a kid is telling you this, they want you along for the journey. Um, when a kid is saying, no, I can't tell Uncle Jim, um, please do it for me. They're saying, I don't have the ability yet, or I'm too afraid, and I still need you. And I think that's powerful, and it's an opportunity to turn towards each other rather than turning it into this larger thing of, oh, this must mean that there's some ambivalence or, or whatever. I think the other thing to remember is unless there's like a cisgender queer person in the family, there's not many situations where a cisgender family member is having to have this level of vulnerability. No one is saying to, you know, the sibling of one of our trans kids, Oh, you know, when we go to Christmas, I want you to, no one's saying like, Oh, Hey, when we go to this particular holiday, uh, sibling, 
I want you to talk to the family about how you know you're a girl. No one says that. It would be absurd, right? But as Mm -hmm. soon as a kid discloses a gender identity different than being cisgender or a pathway different than being cisgender, that's essentially what we're asking them to do. One of the things that I do for parents when when I work with a family is that I will tell parents, I am a great person to ask stupid questions to because you're not going to offend me. Um, and I can help you reframe them and give you proper language to use as well as answer your question. When you ask your questions straight up to the kid who's just been super vulnerable to tell you what's going on, more often than not, we've got at least one inappropriate question. Um, that's generous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's usually several, um, per family member. (laughs) And then on top of that, I've heard parents, like parents and family members ask questions of kids that are like complex gender theory questions, right? Like, is this the influence of the patriarchy? Kids will often say like, look, I'm not an expert on everyone's gender or gender identity as a whole or what it means to be transgender for every transgender person. What I know is that I'm a girl and that's the end of my story. Right. I could probably talk to you about the super uncomfortable things about dysphoria, but like that is honestly just none of your business. Um, And deeply painful and none like just just rude questions. Um, Also like asking a kid about their transition plans is also kind of weird and inappropriate just just since we're on the subject um yeah it's a lot different to say how can i support you versus mm -hmm. when are you having the surgery or have you had Mm -hmm. any surgery uh if they've are older um it's helpful for the parent to be able to be the buffer Mm -hmm. so if parents you know your you know your own siblings you know your own parents much better than this kid does, right? Be the buffer um, and be able to say like, hey, we're super excited about this. If you have questions, please direct them my way. And if I don't have answers for you, I will find them, get them, and like we can continue to have dialogue about this. What I don't want you to do is bombard Sarah or whoever um with a ton of questions right so setting up when you do the announcement or the coming out to whoever you're talking to about your kid right being excited and then also i think it's so great if you can think about it in advance what your boundaries are and what you need and what boundaries are really what's okay and what's not okay so it's okay for you to ask me questions. It's not okay for you to ask Sarah 10 million questions. Um, It's not okay for you to ask Sarah about her transition plans. It's not okay for you to ask Sarah about gender as a whole. Um, It's not okay for you to not use this name and pronouns. Right, but just like knowing what's okay and what's not okay before you go in can be really, really helpful. And recognize that we can't control the behavior of of other people. And so 
if we are establishing those boundaries and they are crossed, have mm-hmm. an action plan. Whether yeah. it's leaving the event or um, mm-hmm. saying, you know what, we need to take a two-week communication, whatever it is. Let's just take a little pause and take some space and cool our heads and do some research and do some reading. Yeah. And I'll send you some resources. Yep. You can send me whatever resources you think I need to read. Um, What's Brene's thing and- about boundaries? B- boundaries are the way I care about you and care about me. Some- boundaries are the way that we can stay in relationship. Boundaries are the way that I can tell you this is how we stay mm-hmm. in relationship. And boundaries are really about what I'm going to do in response to your mm-hmm. behavior. Right? So all of the things on the it's not okay list should be followed with uh, if any of these things happen, right? Like we're going to leave or I will remind you and then we will leave. What do you think? I'm switching the subject a little bit um, away from extended family community things like coaches Mm -hmm. and sports Mm -hmm. teams. And when do you tell people when, if you want to go on a date with them and you're just passing mm-hmm. and they don't know because they've met you post-transition? <laughs> so many good questions and there really are no easy answers. Um, when thinking about disclosure in relationships, I think you can use similar guideposts to thinking about when, how, if to tell family members, right? Like, how serious is the relationship? What is the um, sort of consequence or the weight of constantly f- feeling like you're going to be found out, you know, whatever that means. And that's related to that shame piece, right? That you're always carrying this shame around and that if we didn't have such rampant transphobia and homophobia then the question of when to tell a partner wouldn't even be on the table um and so recognizing that it is absolutely your right to decide when how and if to tell a romantic partner but that continuing to hold on to the information while it is anyone's right to do so, is actually reinforcing the shame that other people are trying to put upon us in relationships. That's just my opinion. Um, Because we don't exist in a society where transphobia is gone, there is real fear. There is real concern for safety. And I think it, it just goes back to the, do you really want to be with someone who isn't going to respect that part of your history. I literally said that to a kid yesterday. (laughs) They're like, what do I do if I like get into a relationship with somebody? And I was like, are you going to really want to be in a relationship with someone who's not going to be affirming of trans Mm -hmm. people? And they're like, Oh yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a family member very early on in my career when I was looking for jobs and uh, you know, I would ask about, queer culture and supports for 
LGBTQ plus employees. And the family member was like, oh, I, I don't think you should ask those questions. You know, it, it marks you, it pigeonholes you. Um, and I was like, and they said, and, you know, it gives people the opportunity not to hire you. I was like, well, first of all, that's discrimination. Uh, second mm-hmm. of all, I don't want to work for a place that would not hire me because I asked that question. Or that makes an assumption about me because I asked that question. I could just be a really fabulous ally. <laughs> As always, appreciate you. Appreciate you finding the time even <laughs> 10 o'clock at night no problem this is my golden hour (laughs) as always love you buddy thanks for having me i hope this helps clarify what makes coming out so difficult and helps you navigate the process more easily it is a lot bigger than we realize i'm so grateful for our community for asking these questions about coming out one person asked but it became quickly evident that they were not the only one who needed this episode. Remember, you're not alone in it. You're not the only one having that question. Just ask. Also, thanks to Jess for sharing their time and nerd brain with us. We'll be hearing from them again down the road. All of us here at camp, listeners, counselors, we're all here to support you. So don't be a stranger. You can reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram as wild.heart.society. If you've got a question you want us to answer or you want to share a story about a beautiful moment of your own affirming family, don't hesitate to email us at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Thanks again for showing up here and for your kids. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss out on future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us and we want to make sure that anyone who needs one knows there's a bunk for them at Camp Wildheart. Heart.